Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Yeah, we're calling this podcast Friday After Dark. Welcome to Fantasy NBA Today, everybody. It's a sports ethos presentation. And I thought I'd switch things up this week. I know on social and even on yesterday's podcast, I said something like, well, we'll do the little weekend review thing on Friday. And then I woke up today and I thought, well, that's dumb, Dan. That's a dumb idea. Because this week was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. It's three days, then a day off. So what really is the purpose of a weekend review when we just did a reverse chronological lightning round for our Monday show and we were effectively one very, very large day of games on Wednesday away from kind of not really having a week to review. And it was mostly injury stuff anyway. So then I thought, all right, what's a way to twist this thing on its head? Make sure we keep the Iron Man streak alive. We're doing five shows a week. And the answer was, just do the show Friday night. We got a whole bunch of games, pretty chunky Friday card for the first basketball action in two days. Plenty of things going on, more injuries to discuss, all that good stuff. And you knew something was going to come of this Friday uh, fairly large 12-gamer. I say fairly large only because Wednesday was 13. And this will now take us into the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. Because a lot of times when we do our Friday shows, we've got the Friday, Saturday, Sunday stuff coming up. The weekend becomes this very long stretch of basketball where we don't have uh, a show about it until Monday, late morning, early afternoon for most of you guys. Not... You know, in and of itself is is a bit problematic, but I'm not doing extra shows. I'm not doing. I'm not going back to seven shows a week, but for kind of sort of running up to draft season. So again, the answer was do the show Friday night, shorten the weekend. Anyway, let's dive on into it. Um, I'm Dan Bespris. Thanks again for listening, everybody. This is Fantasy NBA Today. You can follow me on Twitter at Dan Bespris. Hey, you know what I forgot to mention is that Sports Ethos changed its Twitter handles. So it's no longer Hoopball Fantasy to get all the up-to-the-minute blurbs and uh, fantasy news and injury news and all that good stuff. It's actually Ethos Fantasy BK, BK for basketball, because, as we've discussed now at some great length, Sports Ethos adding more sports. I think a couple of you guys have written in. If you want to be involved or even in charge of the Sports Ethos basketball operation, please do hit me up on Twitter, at Dan Bespris, or send an email to... Support at sportsethos.com. Okay, now let's dig into the Friday card. Detroit was in L.A. to take on the Clippers. That was the afternoon game, and the Clippers beat the, the pants off of them. This game was not nearly as close as the final score indicated. Jeremy Grant was basically the only player who had to go starters minutes. A couple of Clippers did squeeze over 30, but it really wasn't. They, you know, Detroit was able to make a bit of a comeback late. Um... I didn't. I I wimped out on starting Corey Joseph as the uh, streamer again with Killian Hayes still out, questionable. So he's close. And then Cade, you know, you're obviously getting the rookie stuff there. Isaiah Stewart came back, kind of ruined his night by missing both of his free throws, but 12 rebounds, a steal, and a block. That stuff is okay. He's uh, they're growing pains to be sure with Stewart, although he's been a little bit better here right before 
the suspension and I think a little bit better after with no Kelly Olynyk. There's just no one else there. So in a competitive ball game, Luca Garza is not going to play much. We've been keeping sort of one eye on Frank Jackson. He's come back to earth now with the defensive stats settling down. And I think I continue to say I probably don't fully have the stones to stream Corey Joseph, but you know it should make sense. It just doesn't all the time. For the Clippers, Evita Zubats, 22 minutes, but he got it done. But again, this is now a thing. Serge Ibaka played 19 minutes this game. Isaiah Hartenstein, 18 and a half minutes. They actually, at times, shared the floor. Clippers went very big for stretches. Marcus Morris, 24 minutes. There are a lot of big men vying now for the Clippers. Zubat's only four shots in this ballgame. And I know that the numbers were good, but if the minutes do continue to trend down, we got to keep an eye on it. I will say once again, we're not going to pre-drop him. We're not going to pre-drop Zubats because he's been good. And he was good again. But it is kind of knocking on the door a little bit. And we got another good one from Reggie Jackson. Because who the hell knows when you're going to get good Reggie or bad Reggie. But it really does come down to field goal percent for him. He's now a little bit over 40. 40 and a half. And he is one round outside of the top 100. He is right there. Lord, I'd love for him to go to have a game where you hit like seven out of seven free throws. That might do it all by itself. Terrence Mann had a big one, but he hasn't been consistent enough. And then if you're watching Ibaka, who we mentioned a minute ago, I don't think his body holds up. So I believe you can most likely leave him on the wire. Kind of the same story for Marcus Morris, who, as we talked about, needs 12 shots. That's the magic number for him. And he only got to seven in this one. Chicago blew out Orlando, and the Magic are just completely hapless without Cole Anthony. He's been kind of their everything. Uh, mild updates on Jonathan Isaac and Markel Fultz came out of Orlando country when the update was basically like, these guys aren't that close. So great, we'll just keep trucking along. Fultz has been kind of working out, I believe, with their G League team. Isaac hasn't really done much of anything. And in this one, Mo Bamba had back spasms. If you're wondering why his minutes and his production were down, we kind of always knew this injury stuff was coming you just just ride it out. Hope that it's a short-term thing. That's the best you can do. Wendell Carter Jr. is in for a huge role if he slides up and gets to play center and there's just no other big guys floating around near him. If Bamba does have to miss time, you probably see a little bit more from a guy like Franz Wagner. You see more, I mean, just doing more. because He's playing plenty. You'll see more minutes for his brother, Mo Wagner, who we know has a pretty good fantasy game, but he's, he's going to need to do a little bit more than that. And I think I'm not, I, I don't think I'm diving into that mess and try to find someone to pick up with Mo Bamba going down. I just, I, I can't possibly. Vooch still struggling, man. One for five at the free throw line. What's going on in that dude's head? He's deep in his own head right now. Kobe White had a good ball game. He got hot, but I don't think you can expect that type of thing on a night-to-night basis. Phoenix beat up on New York. This one, you know, Phoenix didn't treat this like it was a blowout. They were just sort of slowly pulling away. And the beauty for the Suns, who really have turned things around after a straight finals hangover start to the season, I thought that would last longer. They busted out of it, and they just haven't looked back now. The fact that they have Chris Paul start the second and fourth quarters is just unbelievably powerful for them. He roasts second units you see i mean you'll notice he does a lot of his fantasy damage when you look at the actual box score stuff 
beginning of second, beginning of fourth. He racks up two, three assists in the start of each of those quarters, almost every single ball game. Like, you just take that little chunk, and you're, he's sitting on five or six assists nightly. Devin Booker's been really hot lately. Shot's been dropping, which I think we probably figured was coming because his field goal percent was too low for a bit here. Uh, he's up to number 46 on the year now, uh, which is good. That's better than it was last year. Uh, turnovers being lower is helpful for him. Uh, adding the three-pointers now being up to two and a half, that's been useful, and that's one of the big areas where he's grown. And then otherwise, you know, Phoenix is just clobbering teams, so not everybody's going to have to do stuff on a nightly basis. On the New York side, Kemba Walker, again, only 23 minutes. I know he had 17 points usage-wise. He was a bit more involved in this ballgame, but dang, that is that remains troublesome. And it's the same crap again, where the reserves are getting the same minutes as the starters. Mitchell Robinson, 21. Erlens Noel, 18. They went to the Junkers very late in this ballgame. Evan Fournier cooled off, not surprisingly there. Alec Burks, still okay. Didn't have the big, you know, show-out kind of ball game, uh, but was pretty good. 9-6 and six for Burks with a steal, hit his free throws like he always does. That's been a pretty good source of value for him. I maintain that he is, to me, the safest of all of those guys. Because, yeah, Fournier had a good ball game in the last one, and then Kemba had a good ball game here. But Burks is always the one who's, like, the second best. Sometimes it's actually good to be number two every single night in fantasy. And if he threw in a couple of big number one type performances, then you're really cooking. So I'm on, I'm on board with the Burks thing. I think he can be pretty safely added. And I don't know. I mean, starting him takes a little bit more gusto than perhaps I have most nights. But I think you could do it. I don't think it would burn you. He's going to get his playing time. He's going to get his touches. Charlotte beat up on Minnesota. Big... Uh, say a big double-double, not really. It was a medium double-double for LaMelo Ball. He actually had one of his quieter games by all accounts. This was just a really well-rounded Hornets performance. Seven players in double figures, including Kelly Oubre, who scored 27. Terry Rozier had another better ball game. Good shooting percentage in this one. He's up to number 71 on the season now. By the way, if you were wondering on Oubre, it's really the first good game he's had in like a month. He's number 154 right now, so don't worry too much about that pj washington got the spot start at center with mason Plumley dealing with a calf strain and it went really well and for pj he's a guy who has that really nice fantasy ceiling problem is that you know mason Plumley's probably gonna be around most of the year and we we're noticing that it's you know Plumley. it's it's kind of his job a little surprised that charlotte hasn't gone to the small ball more often uh, but I don't think they trust themselves to rebound effectively enough without Plumlee on the floor or defend effectively enough. But they certainly did so in this ballgame. And more than anything, they were just incredible on offense with that type of spacing. Maybe it wakes them up a little bit. We'll see. Uh, anyway, if PJ's floating around, he should probably be at the end of your bench just in case this thing clicks because there just aren't that many guys that are cooling out on the wire that can go top 65 type of fantasy stuff. They don't, they sort of just don't exist. I don't know what other, there's a simpler way to put it than that. So uh, take a minute in the middle of this podcast, go hunt, go pop a, uh, over to your league's free agent page and see if someone got annoyed with PJ and cast him aside. Might not have, 
It's not particularly common. I think he's only available in one out of my 13 leagues, but you never know. First game without Patrick Beverly, uh, who will be reevaluated in two weeks on his groin injury, and it didn't go great for Minnesota. Their defense suffered big time. Malik Beasley ended up with 14 shots. He scored 18 points, but had one assist. That was the only other thing he did, and that's the problem with Beasley, and it's why I think he's really only an option in points leagues here. Jared Vanderbilt came back to earth a little bit. He did get two steals and a block and eight rebounds, but again, you know, if he's playing 25 minutes a game, which is kind of where he's been at lately, it's going to be hard for him to get 13, 14 rebounds and four or five defensive stats every ballgame. So just sort of balance it out and understand that the good ones and the bad ones create some number in the middle. And our hope here is that over whatever stretch, that will get you near 100, which, has, which still feels relatively dur- doable. Gary Trent Jr. left the Raptors' loss to Indiana late with a right calf injury. We don't know if it was a strain or if it was just some soreness. So keep an eye on that. If he has to miss any time, uh, some combination of, of Banton and Flynn or Svee, I think the Raptors will probably go with, with some kind of committee approach. Although it's also possible OG Ananobi comes back and then he just slides in and everybody else sort of moves a position on the floor to accommodate. Maybe that's the way it ends up going. We were trying to guess who was going to the bench uh, if Ananobi came back in this current iteration. It was probably going to be Precious Achua, but if Trent hasn't missed any time, then Precious probably sticks around. He played 33 minutes with OG still not back. Kem Birch also out for this ballgame, and Achua was decidedly decent. And then everybody else kind of did what you expected of them. The main guys did main guy type of stuff. Easy enough. On the Indiana side... Karis LeVert was better, scored 19 points, 5 boards, 3 assists. He still doesn't have all of the stuff going. The the defensive stats are down for a lot of guys in Indiana, by the way. Not Miles Turner. He's still blocking shots just fine. But better position defense has been one of the main tenets here for Rick Carlisle's club. And so, you know, to see TJ McConnell come up with three swipes in this ballgame was actually a really nice turn of events. He had seven assists. This was kind of what we wanted out of TJ, which is not a ton of scoring, a couple of rebounds, nice assists, nice steals. That's been the goal all the way through, and the only time we've gotten anything close to that has been when either Levert or Brogdon was out, but he did it here in only 22 minutes with both of those guys healthy. Cool. And we also saw why Justin Holiday is not a trustworthy fantasy player. Well, we tried to tell you, hang on to Daniel Gafford. Hang on to Daniel Gafford because he can do things in his time on the floor that you guys are not fully appreciating. And today, he pushed triple-double territory on the points, boards, blocks assist, uh, assessment of the triple-double. Didn't quite get there. Seven points, eight boards, eight blocks in a narrow Wizards win. KCP was good. He's been uh, sort of the king of the streamers here so far this year. Uh, and then I, I don't know what the right way to, to position ourselves is on Bradley Beal. He's probably a buy low. I just, oh man, I really don't like the offense in Washington. 79 field goal attempts in this game and only 15 free throws, 15 turnovers. That's just not that many possessions in the modern NBA. So it's going to be hard for a number of guys to put up good offensive fantasy stats every single night when there just aren't that many opportunities to do so. I don't know that any team, I don't have this the, the advanced stats nearby, but I don't know that any team changed their pacing 
quite the way the Wizards did this offseason, either faster or slower. They seem to be the one that really made the hard pivot. And we may need to adjust a guy like Beal down. The expectation was that he'd probably be in the top 12, but with all these, you know, 18 shots a game, he's been taking quite a few shots on the year. He hasn't been able to make very many of them. But if the shots are coming down, if the pace is coming down, if the the assists are, are hanging in there, can he get to that top 12? Probably not. He's still a buy low because he's been hovering in the 40s so far this year. I haven't been able to shoot at all and kind of salvaged this line after a really bad first three quarters with a better ending of the ball game. We might be looking at more like a top 18, top 22 type of guy this season. So that's annoying because I don't know how many of us actually had any idea the Wizards were going to change how they played so dramatically. SGA came back for OKC, and they almost accidentally won a ball game because that's what happens when you play your best player. He was fine. Lou Dort was uh, pretty good in this ball game. made his five free throws. That's kind of been the key to him actually being a category league guy. And then the, everyone, the guy that everybody's been talking about and kind of wondering about has been Jeremiah Robinson Earl, who saw just 23 minutes in this ball game. Not foul issues. 10 points, two boards, a block. And it's why I don't have the, the, the gall to start him in... Roto games cap type of formats because you just don't really know what you're going to get on a nightly basis. I think it makes a lot of sense in head-to-head. He hasn't been granted center eligibility yet, which remains arguably the biggest problem he has in fantasy leagues right now. Once he gets that center eligibility and once we sort of really understand what he is, then maybe we can make a better call on him in Roto games cap. I'm totally fine with you if you guys want to just flip him on the end of your bench in a Roto League, kind of see what happens, feel it out. I've been doing that. I have him in a couple of leagues, although I'll admit we'll get to the next ball game and and it's going to be kind of a, a, a louder assessment out of the Memphis-Atlanta game. But in the leagues where I, I really did have almost total dead weight, I was able to pick up Robinson Earl and just sit him on my bench. And in head-to-head leagues, I want to pick him up, but I want him to be a center. I don't need a forward that does what he does. I ended up with uh, a couple of those Adam King-style punt uh, big man leagues. So what the hell am I going to do with a small forward that mostly rebounds? It's, he's, he's sort of built for the opposite type of league until he gets the center spot. Once he gets the center spot, then it makes a ton of sense. All right, Atlanta-Memphis. And there's a lot hanging in the balance in this ballgame. And all that stuff that's hanging in the balance in this ballgame is basically John Morant. As of the time of recording this podcast, all we know is that Morant seemed to step on a foot with his right foot, but then ended up hobbling on his left knee. So what is it? We don't know. He was on the ground for a little bit. He was helped back to the locker room, putting very little weight on that left knee. The uh, initial feelings out of Memphis have been pretty quiet so far. I don't think we fully know even what they're planning for or expecting. And we're hoping, because Jaws is an unbelievably electric fantasy or reality player and this year he's become a pretty electric fantasy player as well 
But prior to this year, even I mean, he was the guy where the eye test didn't match the fantasy test at all. He's putting it together, and he's carrying a team that is attempting to go younger every year. They're leaning into the youth, the rebuild, while trying to stay pretty good. Trading away JV was more contractual than anything else. And don't get me wrong, I love JJJ. We've talked about that. This is the year that I've gone in on him in fantasy, and he's been uh, a tad inconsistent, to be fair. He was fine tonight. Not good, not bad. Had picked up five fouls, and nobody played all that many minutes in this game because it was such an ugly, ugly, ugly blowout. Uh, Desmond Bain has been pretty good. But beyond that, the stories I, I haven't been... You know, I... It, Ja's incredible play so far this year has covered up a lot of the problems with the Grizzlies, who are 9-9 nine and nine despite him putting up an all-world kind of season so far. I mean, you guys know I fade Moran on the fantasy side a little bit, and, and we're likely going to miss on that one this year because after this bad ball game, he fell to number 31, but that's still pretty damn good and way better than I ever thought possible, although he has certainly come down off of that that first round level start. Regardless, he's scoring 24 points, six boards, seven assists, one and a half steals, one and a half threes. The percentage has been better. He's been carrying them for the most part. Now, again, we don't really know what, what the prognosis is yet. And maybe we'll know first thing tomorrow morning. So maybe I should have waited and, and done this podcast on Saturday, but I'm not gonna want to get this thing out on Friday night. Uh, gonna have a damn show released on Friday Pacific time. That is the way I want to operate today. But you just, you know, we didn't really see the obvious tweak in the left knee, which always worries us. This wasn't really a contact deal with the knee. It didn't look like it twisted. It wasn't like a hyperextension. It, it looked like he landed funny on the right side, and the left side was the one that ended up causing him trouble. So we'll see. Suffice it to say, though, that if this game was not a blowout, you probably would have seen another six, seven, or even eight minutes from Tyus Jones, and he is the very obvious beneficiary if Ja has to miss any time at all. And it seems, you know, the fact that it was a, you know, that he got hurt early in the game, we didn't know it was going to be a complete butt whipping. You could say, oh, well, maybe he wasn't going to come back because it was a blowout. I don't think he was all that close to coming back. So I'm thinking weeks on this one. Frankly, I'm hoping only a few. Maybe we get insanely lucky and he comes back. There was just this little tweak and it felt better in the morning. But I can't imagine they're going to push him. He's their everything. So I got to think just from watching the play and watching the way things were handled that you're looking at at least a week and probably more like a handful of them. Maybe not a full hand. I guess that would be five. So maybe not that. Maybe two, three, four. Hopefully not more than that. Still, you know, on the, on the head-to-head side, until you know exactly how long someone's going to be out, you don't really know how valuable the pickup's going to be. On the Roto side, because there's no weekly moves limit, I went out and I picked up Tyus Jones in every Roto League I had. Because if we're about to get three or four weeks. Again, I don't know what it's going to be at this point, but if we're about to get a few, we just go with a few weeks of Tyus Jones as the starting 
point guard who gets to play traditional starters minutes. We saw what that was last year. Jones had one game this season where he played 27 minutes. It wasn't entirely clear why. I think he just played good ball, and so he, he put up a few extra minutes. But now when he had 17 points, 8 boards, 4 assists, and 2 steals, which wasn't exactly his typical starters minutes kind of line. He's not a guy that's known for rebounding the basketball. But if you go back to last year, remember John missed about a month with an ankle situation Early in the year, he was never really quite the same. But during that downtime, which was effectively the end of December through the beginning of February, Jones played, aside from one brutal game against Philadelphia, he played anywhere from 22 to about 34 minutes in there. A few examples. December 28th last year at Brooklyn, Nine points, couple of steals, five boards, four assists. That was a relatively slow one. Two nights later, 12 assists and two steals. Two games later, excuse me. Two nights later, 14 points, five boards, three assists, couple of three-pointers. Eight points, eight assists, two steals, and a block. 11 points, 10 assists, 13 and seven. Seven steals over those two ballgames. He's a steals wizard. He's going to go probably around eight assists per game. Seven or eight is where he was at when he was filling in last year. And then anything beyond that is gravy. So this is a guy who can definitely roll top 80-ish point guard stuff. He's sort of Ricky Rubio-esque in what he's capable of doing as a starting level point guard. And I would argue probably shoots a little better than Rubio. He's at 50% this year, limited sample size, but he was at 43 last year, 46 season before that, 42 before that, 46 before that. So he bounces around, career 43% shooter. That's better than Rubio. Doesn't take that many three-pointers, but a little bit more this year. He's taking two a game in only 15 and a half minutes. Last year it was two a game in 17 and a half minutes. So maybe that... As a starter, is that three and a half, four three-pointers a game? Is he making one and a half of them? So I added him pretty much everywhere. And I think it's also worth mentioning, look, like the upside is not insane, but if this turns out to be a really bad injury for Ja, heaven help us, let's hope it's not. But if it does, this is a guy that ends up being pretty damn useful probably through the end of the year at that point. Also, DeAnthony Melton came back in this ballgame, only logged 20 minutes, but came in and immediately picked up three defensive stats. Like, right out of the shoot. That's how he finished in the ball game, But he actually probably benefits from this as well. We have to adjust for the blowout in this game because nobody got to really play minutes. But I would think that, if again, if we're looking at the Tyus Jones information that we have in front of us, Jones was playing 15 and a half minutes when Ja was healthy. If you take out Morant's typical minutes... Which, again, uh, if you, with tonight averaged in, he's still at almost 33 minutes per ball game. If you take tonight out, he was more like 34 per game. You can't add 34 to Tyus Jones already playing 15 or 16. You can probably add another 15 to that. But now you're still talking about 19 point guard minutes just floating out there on Memphis that are largely unaccounted for. Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain were the guys that were already playing pretty big minutes in the current lineup iterations. The guy that had lost out was Melton, and he can play point. 
D'Anthony Melton now might be both a backup shooting guard and a backup point guard, as opposed to recently where he's mostly just been the backup shooting guard. So this could end up being really good news for Melton. He's another guy I think you absolutely positively must roster right now, even if you don't start these guys in a games cap format in their very next ballgame. Although, frankly, if we find out Tyus Jones is starting in the next one, you probably go ahead and start him anyway. With Melton, I don't think he ends up in the starting lineup. I think Jones would be the guy to fill in. But with Melton, you can maybe wait a game. Okay, what does he get? How do his minutes change if Jaw's out? The other note on this one, Brandon Clark had been ramping up. I have no idea what his second half might have looked like if this game wasn't a complete disgusting runaway. He only played, I think, two minutes in the second half after about nine in the first, which, again, that's not enough. But nine you might have looked at and thought, all right, well, this is not the total end of the world. We wanted him up around a dozen per half. Nine is not enough. I will say that. It's not the end of the world. It'll save you if you're in a head-to-head league, but it's not enough. So Clark, as we talked about, And I mentioned on Twitter and in our our Discord to a few folks, I was like, look, if you miss out on Brandon Clark, it's really not the end of the world. He's still rolling at about a top 100, top 115 clip, even while he's been going good, because the defensive stats haven't really been there yet. There's been some stuff where his field goal percent has been terrific, and he's definitely been doing more, but he hasn't really come all the way around. The way he comes all the way around is to get that center eligibility and get the consistent 26 minutes per ball game. But if he's not getting that, then meh. But, I, you know, if you didn't pick him up, someone might drop him. I don't know that you have to add him. It's a, he felt a little bit more speculative than some of the other stuff going on. So I wouldn't worry too much about it. San Antonio beat Boston 96-88. to They went on a 15-0 run to end this ball game. Celtics are a weird bunch, man. Marcus Smart continues to play well. Jason Tatum continues to struggle with his shot on most games. He's hovering at number 36 right now. I I just, he'll be okay. It's just annoying getting there. He's still shooting 40.5% from the field. 40.5. He's not supposed to be a guy that really kills you from that spot. But if you remember, guys, a couple years ago, Tatum actually started in that neck of the woods. It was the year that his usage made a big leap, and he shot about 40% for the first two or three months of the year, and then he shot 50 the rest of the way and catapulted himself up into that top 15. So it's very, very reasonable that he could get back to that spot without much ado, and I think he probably will. Dude's still taking 22 shots a ball game. If you just adjust for better shooting, field goal, and free throw, and hopefully a little bit more in the uh, defensive stats department, well, then you're good to go. It is annoying on the way there, though. I'll give you that. And I have Tatum in just one spot somehow. I did, just didn't end up with that many picks in that, like, eight or nine range. I was either two, two or three. I had in, like, two spots and then, like, 11 in every other league, 11 or 12. I was all the, always at the back end of it. Uh, I do love what Marcus Smart's been able to do, though. He's playing really well. He's up to number 67 in nine cat on the year now, just coasting along at that spot. And this game was just sort of good for him lately. It wasn't great. Al Horford, unfortunately, has fallen off. I think we all kind of figured that he would. But he's still number 21 overall, so just kind of enjoy it. I, uh, I want to co- pivot back to something after talking about San Antonio and then the New Orleans-Utah game, or even before that. 
Uh, DeJounte Murray, big ball game. Derek White, big ball game. 17-8-7, three defensive stats, three three-pointers. He's still not shooting the ball well, and he's number 96 anyway. I've called him a buy low, one of my favorite buy lows, and then these types of lines, just a not-at-all subtle example of why. I want to just take a second to address something I mentioned on Twitter, which, again, if you guys would be so kind as to follow at Dan Vespers on social media, was this idea that there are certain types of guys in the NBA that no matter how good they look and play, they're never going to be a sell high. And Al Horford is one of those guys. He's not the only one. I think Harrison Barnes was probably one of those guys. Rashawn Holmes, when he got off to a, a really fast start, he's come back to earth a little bit. He was one of those guys. It's just... So if we can isolate those guys, and I don't have a, a list handy, maybe we'll work on one to put together for social media. I think it's important to know that with those types of players, it's best to just hang on to them. Don't stress yourself out. Just ride the wave and enjoy it. Now I think back here and I think, why did you even bring that up, Dan? I just I want this to be something that we consider, maybe as even a lesson learned towards the end of the year, but probably something that we keep as kind of a living, breathing list of guys that are just good and you'll never get full value for them coming back. I don't know how they did it, but the Pelicans... Beat Utah, 98-97. Devontae Graham, a game winner to finish it off. That was crazy. Low-scoring games. There wasn't a whole lot of great stuff going on. Brandon Ingram had 21. Josh Hart cooled off. JV cooled off. I have no idea how New Orleans won this ballgame. I mean, I know Devontae hit the big shot, but I have no idea how they kept it that close. It's just a really bad offensive game for Utah. Uh, Boyan Bogdanovich was kind of the only bright spot for the Jazz on an ugly evening. Donovan Mitchell has come crashing back to earth here over the last, call it, two weeks. Uh, he, I mean, he's still fine, Donovan is, uh, but he's fallen to number 31 now. That's a That's a big drop-off. Remember, he was like number 15 two weeks ago, and now he's at 31. And here's the thing. You know, zebras don't change their stripes. We know what Donovan Mitchell is. He's a lower field goal percent, good free throw scorer for the Jazz, who's not, there's just sort of nothing left for his game to change other than does he do more or does he do less? He's doing quite a lot, which is frankly why he's at 31, and the steals are really high this year. But again, when we saw everything was on the way to leveling off, he always falls back into that 40 range. That's always where he ends up. You can set your clock to it, and the shame of it is I usually love the set-your-watch guys, uh, but those guys usually get underdrafted. With Donovan, for whatever reason, just consistently overdrafted every year. Ah, well. Um, Royce O'Neal, decent ball game, 6-3 with five defensive stats. I, again, I don't know how long this type of thing holds up. He's the very low upside guy because he doesn't do anything on offense, but he's at number 87 right now per game in 9-cat. Thanks in large part to the steals and the low turnovers, but you take what you can get. Fills out a head-to-head roster nicely. Tough guy to play in Roto just because if the steals and blocks aren't there one night, then you're talking about a 7.4 rebound game, which is uh, not going to get the job done most evenings. Milwaukee beat Denver, ballgame that probably should have been a wider 
finishing number than it was, but uh, it was enough. Milwaukee gets themselves another victory. Pat Connaughton's been playing really well lately. He's red hot. Seven out of eight shooting in this game. Giannis, another good one, but missed a ton of free throws. And unfortunately, that's kind of as Giannis goes, or as the free throws go, so goes Giannis. He falls back from number 10 to number 12, but he's hanging out right at the edge of that first round. Portis, good again. Drew, he's been revving himself up. Middleton's getting better. And then, we talked about it on the last show, Grayson Allen. You know, the, the ride is probably over. I'm not happy about it either. I thought he might last until Dante DiVincenzo came back, but it really seems like he just needed to last until Portis, Drew, and Middleton all got together. And, you know, the funny thing is, Allen was okay when both of the guards were there, but now that Portis is around, it's just too many guys with usage in front of him. I think Allen might be better off with Brook Lopez at center because he's not really looking to shoot the way that Portis does. But Brolo's still out. Maybe getting closer, we don't know. By the way, uh, Portis will definitely still be worth rostering even after Lopez returns. But for now, I think we can probably move on from Grayson Allen. I feel pretty comfortable with that. He's just not getting any shots anymore. His value is tied up in three-pointer makes. And if you're not taking any threes, what good are you? On the Denver side, another Jokic-less ball game, which is, oh man, it's, it's rough sledding these days for Denver. Jokic, the wrist, he's been questionable for last, like, three games in a row. Aaron Gordon had a better ball game, but I'm not buying into that. Jeff Green's been filling in pretty nicely, but I'm not buying into that either. I, I'm basically just starting Will Barton right now. And I do think Monte Morris is safe to start for the most part. With Jokic out, I know it's, he's never going to have an exciting game, but he's also not really going to hurt you very much. I just, you guys have heard me say it. I don't want, really like repeating it every single ball game. I just, I, I treat this Denver team like I treat the Sixers, which is basically, there's so many guys out. There's so many moving pieces, there, which means they're, so, they're very willing to go to other guys that are not the starters. Because the starters that are in there right now are not really guys that you're like, oh, these are the dudes that they trust. It's a one-to-one thing. They just need to replace one guy. It's the whole damn team for the most part. And so then any one of these guys is subject to just being yanked on a night-to-night basis, other than basically Gordon and Barton. And then with Gordon, you know, whatever happens, you're always hanging on. You're hanging on by a thread with Aaron. Although he's been okay so far this year, but you're still generally kind of just dangling there. Uh, Norman Powell hurt his quad. I mean, my whole team is going down this week. Thanks, Thanksgiving week. Uh, my 30-deep team lost Patrick Beverly and Harrison Barnes and Daniel Tice, who, again, I know you're like, what is he even doing there? But it's 30-deep. Uh, he just stopped playing. And uh, Norman Powell, who I've got in a few spots, he's out. Hopefully not too horrifically long. Uh, but if he does miss any time, Nas Little has generally been a beneficiary when Powell's out. Anthony Simons has a chance to be successful there. They'll, they're a little be, it'll be a bit of a hot hand thing going on. Uh, but McCollum, Dame, those guys will be generally okay. This is a bad ball game for Lillard. He's been so hot lately. I don't think you can read too much into it. And then Larry Nance has been unfortunately kind of trending down a bit after a really good run for him. A few ball games where he got it going, uh, and then they've moved back away from him. Rob Covington, meanwhile, has actually been quite good of late, other than the ejection game. I don't think there's an obvious pickup here. I think you can monitor it if you wanted to pick up Nas Little and just get a feel for it. But, I mean, games cap, I'm definitely not throwing him in there without seeing what happens. No chance.
For the Warriors, same old story, just good all the way around. Good ball. Draymond starting to get closer. The six turnovers, the high turnover number, uh, a little bit annoying with Dre, but every time he has one of these types of ball games, he just slowly works his way up the board. He hasn't had that one gigantic, like, 9.13 rebound, 12 assists, 3 steal, 4 block game. You know it's coming at some point. This one was kind of sniffing at it a little bit. Wiggins has been better. Field goal percent's been really good for him. He's starting to get a few defensive stats mixed in, but, like, there's nothing... There's no big-time obvious moves to make with this Warriors team. They're just... They're just well put together. Well put together. It's like they've got a good closet full of clothes. They just fit. The pieces fit there this year in a way that they didn't last season. And then the Kings and the Lakers. No Rashawn Holmes still out with a cold. Uh, Harrison Barnes hurt his foot. Mo Harkless hurt himself early in this ballgame, left with knee soreness. Ah, gross basketball. I don't know if you guys got a chance to watch any of this ball game, but it was unbelievably poorly played pretty much all the way around. It was going to come down to who could actually get something done in a key moment. Because Lord knows nobody could get anything done in a non-key moment. Guys were missing layups. Guys were blowing three-pointer wide-open looks from all over the floor. Lazy turnovers, particularly by the Lakers. Lakers, in particular, were guilty of that. Um... But as we look for any sort of trends on the Kings' side, certainly more than the Lakers' side, with Alvin Gentry at the helm, there's still nothing obvious other than Marvin Bagley getting to play a little bit. And I don't know if that's even going to stick once Rashawn Holmes is back. Tristan Thompson got a little bit of bonus playing time because he was bringing energy. Terrence Davis got a little bit of bonus playing time with Barnes and Harkless both out. But it's all ugly. I liked Halliburton's well-rounded line. That was kind of nice. And then on the Lakers' side, you know, it's the, the, the main guys. There's really nothing beyond that. They're a very boring fantasy team that actually, in a weird way, desperately needs Kendrick Nunn to play. And uh, that was your Friday. Which, again, don't get used to this. We're not going to do shows on Friday night. I think most of the time we'd rather do... I'd like to record on Thursdays with Brew, but of course yesterday was Thanksgiving, so we'll push that back and... Hopefully we can get back on the uh, the right schedule for next week. But for now, that's what you got. We shortened the weekend. Opportunity to do now a Monday show that recaps only two days of action and sets you up to kind of go into the weekend with all of your ducks in a row. Big, big thank you, by the way. Shout out to our friends at mybookie.ag for the uh, amazing Turkey Day risk-free bet. I ended up on the Raiders, so that one hit. And that was $250 in my pocket to start the weekend without uh, fear of any kind. Pretty awesome. Six locks, seven odds boosts that actually run throughout the rest of the weekend. You can actually still get on those, I believe. Maybe not. I don't know if those turn off here at the end of Black Friday. Whatever it may be, mybookie.ag. I hope you guys came along and won a bunch of money with us. It's for new users, existing users alike. Again, that promo code if you want to start an account is uh, still just hoop ball. We haven't changed that over yet. Uh, when we do, we will let you know. We'll generally go promo free on this show. Please do drop me a follow at Dan Bespris on Twitter. Big reverse chronological lightning round Monday coming up in a couple of days. Have a marvelous weekend. Happy belated. If you didn't listen to the Thursday show, Thanksgiving, I will talk to you guys Monday morning. So long, everybody. <laughs>